Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, Christian Schiller. Uh, sorry for the delay again. It's uh, that time of year when I'm back on the conference circuit, traveling and crisscrossing across Europe, and sometimes you just do not find yourself in a place where you can record. That said, I'm currently recording from a phone booth, not an actual phone booth, a phone booth in an office in London. So I'm still on the road, but it seemed the best environment I was going to get to get your weekly fill of geeky news to you. So this week, I have a roundup, quite a mixed bag of, of links, actually, and then an interview with uh, Zinshu Dong, the co-founder of RockX, and also an ex-co-founder of Zilliqa, who I have interviewed before on this podcast, another blockchain interview. Um, I am lining up some non-blockchain interviews, but I've just had quite a run of them, so I do apologize. RockX is a digital asset services platform, uh, and we dug into what that could mean and how that could be potentially applicable to blockchain context. But first, some links. Actually, I'm going to start with some non-technical links first. The first of these is from CityLab, from Jonathan English, the commuting principle that shaped urban history. This is quite uh, an interesting... I, I love maps. I love kind of history of cities and maps and things like that. It's quite a fascinating visualise. There's some great graphics in it, so do make sure you go to the actual web page to read it too of how cities grow and how that has been influenced by the travel that is available to them. So, for example, the biggest cities of the past, cities like Rome, you could still walk across them, and they were designed that way because that was the main transport that people used. Then, as uh, trains emerged or as cable cars emerged, as cars emerged, cities were able to grow because you had new options to traverse a city. And... The interesting, fascinating aspect here, which I think is now somewhat being broken, that up until relatively recently, the commute time that uh, people liked in the cities and transport allowed for was always about 30 minutes. I know in many European cities that is still the case, in some monolithic European cities like uh, London, and also lots of American and Australian cities where they have sprawled and sprawled, half an hour is probably quite a short commute time. So... What has gone wrong? Transport hasn't really kept up with the, the modern growth of cities or cities have sprawled, um, not allowing for transport to keep up, I guess. Um, and then this, this article goes all the way back to 800 BC, uh, Rome, the walking city, even with a million people. Uh, it was very dense and many European cities still are to a certain degree. Uh, Paris, a walking city again, still in the 1300s, going on to rail many, many centuries later. And even actually looking at London in 1870, how big it was, um, and it, it it gave rise to even new styles of, of habitation, like the, the the satellite cities, the the garden cities, as London used to call them, uh, that would tempt people to live outside of the city but be able to get in easily for work. This kind of thing, and then the fascinating mode of transport that is still with us: bikes, and to a lesser extent, streetcars slash trams. Bikes uh, have always been there, increasingly popular, and still are popular. Um, although, obviously, they have a, a limited range. Uh, not, un, you know, not, not always short, depends on the stamina and the determination of the rider. But they are not necessarily as long distance as a train or a car. They still offer flexibility to everybody. And then the first underground systems in the early 1900s and how they were built as well. Uh, it's fascinating insights. It's a nice long article here. And then cars, of course. Cars are still the dominant transport, but 
fast throttling our cities. And I think we're now at this point where we're trying to figure out what we can do about that. So what will be the transport of the future that dictates how we can build our cities? I mean, will it be hyper-fast things like Hyperloop and we could effectively live anywhere and still have a half-hour commute from a neighbouring city? I don't know. I don't think that's coming anytime soon. I think we're still stuck with most of what we have for now. I think, actually, it's more likely to be a reorganisation of our cities as opposed to a new transport method, a denser a growth and things like that, but we shall see. In a strangely similar vein, but not quite, <laughs> it's a tenuous connection. This is on One Zero by Owen Williams, How to Move Your Digital Life to a New Country. It's a very short article and doesn't necessarily um, give so many uh, solutions to the problem, but uh, I found it interesting because I have been affected by this myself. I have moved countries three times and it's surprisingly difficult to relocate some of your digital accounts. I haven't been able to relocate uh, one of my main Google accounts from, uh, I think, yeah, still registered in Australia, uh, even though I haven't lived there in five years, because of uh, a Google wallet for business account that has an Australian registered address for a business that hasn't existed for over seven years. But the only way for me to close it is to close my entire Google account, <laughs> which I'm not going to do. Um, Apple, I have actually found relatively easy, although be warned that with many of these uh, DRM digital asset based uh, accounts that shifting them can sometimes lose you access to things you thought you had access to. The uh, classic um, the classic model that many people argue about with uh, streaming and uh, sort of services like that is you don't always actually own the things you think you own. A Creative Cloud, he also mentioned. I didn't have a particularly big issue with Creative Cloud. I managed to shift that relatively easily actually. Um, I don't know why he had so much problem. Um, I also have found that, um, I guess, newer companies, companies that were born into this age, like Netflix and Spotify, which you also mentioned, are easier to switch. They don't really care so much. Uh, Amazon has a weird uh, kind of <laughs> complex maze of interconnected services that sometimes you can switch one account. But then if you've ever had any digital services, that somehow gets locked to other digital services. And maybe you go and buy a Kindle book in America and suddenly your video account doesn't work anymore. And this sort of random stuff I have encountered. It's got better recently, actually, but that's what it used to be like. And this ties a little bit to, in my opinion, of another problem I often have. It's that uh, companies with international footprints and, and interfaces available in multiple languages always want to default to the language you either live in or are currently in, not even registered in. If you happen to be passing through France, then it will show you in French, even though you're not French and don't have a French account. Uh, I really wish that some services would be a bit stickier with language selections than they are. Um, I have a couple of services where it's like, I don't know how many times I have to tell you, I want this interface in a different language and it keeps switching back to other languages. So we would thought that digital life would mean it was easier to move around the world, but no. <laughs> And this was an article that caught my eye from Fast Company by Elie uh, Anzilotti. The this company hired anyone who applied. Now it's starting a movement. This was Grayston Bakery, but there's also actually other couple of companies mentioned. More interestingly, Grayston supplies Ben & Jerry's, and Ben & Jerry's are thinking of taking the same approach, which is a much more well-known company. And I guess, especially in America, where sometimes... Um, a job is, is, well, a job is important to have in many places, but especially in America when it's tied to lots of benefits and things like that. And if you have a criminal record or if you've been out of work for a while, it can be quite difficult to transition 
into a job. So this is a, a handful of companies that operate a hiring policy of just anyone who applies, first come, first served, and your wages are commensurate with your performance. So it's a really open idea. And I, I personally, I think why this caught my attention is I personally feel like the current hiring process that we are used to is somewhat broken. Um, interviews, everyone's on their best behavior. Then you kind of ask for some sort of picky test that doesn't always match reality. And yeah, and then really within two weeks, you've kind of figured out that you can't stand a company that you've just got a job with. So actually having something like this almost seems better. It's like, if you have a name and address, then we'll hire you and then we can figure it out as we go. <laughs> um, seems like a fascinating idea. It doesn't, it's not necessarily designed for people like myself who are lucky enough to be able to relatively easily get jobs. But uh, it's very, very interesting for people who find it harder. And I sort of wonder if the demand that these companies had and, um, and, and how many people apply for each role uh, and how, it's kind of interesting, I suppose, because it's basically first come, first served. <laughs> so the earlier you are there, the better, which I guess shows some initiative. So um, why not give it to the people who, who get there early as opposed to in the middle of the afternoon? Anyway, I'm rambling a little bit, but it's an interesting um, article that uh, could somewhat determine the future of work in, in certain sectors. So uh, have a read. And next is an article from MIT Technology Review by Andy Wright. Uh, why are products for older people so ugly? <laughs> this is specifically focused on a research group that uh, builds products for uh, older people or works with uh, people making products for older people and kind of just digs into, yeah, why are so many things designed for older, whatever that may mean in this day and age, kind of just so functional and ugly. Uh, I think especially in the coming generations that um, everybody would like something that's nice. Uh, and, and, you know, we see plenty of older people using iPads and tablets and they're generally attractive devices. So why are devices designed specifically for older people so damn ugly? Uh, hearing aids are one of actually the interesting ones that have got better. Or I guess hearing aids have become so minute that you don't even notice them anymore. Attractiveness is not even an issue anymore. Uh, but, uh, but still, uh, maybe it's a trend that is changing. And the article focuses specifically on some more products like this, like a an item that was a pad to prevent people hurting the hip if they fell, but no one bought it because it made them look like they had a big, a big butt, as the uh, as the quote says. Um, just because he just assumed that no one cared. Colors like brown, beige, etc. Uh, and um, older people are becoming increasingly picky around not taking devices like that, which I find interesting. And this also feeds a little bit into the, the coming change of, um, of the, the stereotype that older people are not interested in technology. When actually, as, uh, as the current generations age, they are. So don't assume that they're just going to switch off from technology. I mean, I'm nearly 40. It's only another sort of 15 to 20 years. I'm immersed in technology. I would like to think that as uh, my generation gets older, we will still be very interested in keeping on top of technology. So... Times are changing. Speaking of age, my next is from Richard Jensen on Ars Technica, Unix at 50. This is a little potted history of how the operating system that kind of came out of a failed project, which is often so common, in 1969, and now forms kind of the core of Linux that not only fuels uh, many, many free operating systems, but also Android, 
and BSD, which is in Mac OS, and even Windows and Microsoft are becoming a little bit more Linux friendly. And it, it, it maps the history of that, uh, the, the history of proprietary Unix to open source Linux. And the interesting aspect I find in here was that it took quite some time for Unix to be sort of uh, more widely adopted. And then the progress of the process from Unix to Linux was very, very quick. And Linux's rise has been very, very quick in comparison, which was quite fascinating, actually. So if you're into computing history, and there's another subtle plug for the first episode of the Enthusiastic Amateur podcast, where I talk to Sinclair Target about this very topic. Next episode is coming soon. Then uh, this will interest you a lot because Unix, as I've just already mentioned, is everywhere. And finally, in my links register, Tim Anderson. Allow list, not whitelist, block list, not blacklist, goodbye, etc. etc. Microsoft scanned Chromium code, a lot of offensive words. This is specifically around Microsoft contributing to the Chromium project uh, developed by uh, Google, of course, but it is an open source project and contributing a lot of changes of language. This is a topic that has come up a lot in my tech writer community around, yes, words like master-slave, blacklist, whitelist, and the negative connotations of those words. And this is a conversation that, depending on the people you speak with, uh, can tip people one way or another, whether they think it's uh, correctness gone too far, whether they think it's important because uh, his historically speaking, words have meaning, etc., etc. I guess my perspective is often with these sorts of things is one of pragmatism in that if you can find perfectly decent uh, alternatives and uh, you can change an application to reflect those, then why not? What is there to lose from doing it? But this, this is an issue that does get some people quite fired up. And I have had several conversations with, with people around the subject. But uh, if, if large companies and large projects are pursuing this, I guess it is a trend that will slowly spread throughout our other projects. And we shall see what happens there. And I, I think there are there are better choices for some than others. Um, allow list, block list is, is reasonably good. Master slave can sometimes get a little bit more difficult depending on the project. But there's some random ones in here as well, like Microsoft removing swearing from comments. And I'm actually quite surprised that a project from Google have had swearing in the comments. But anyway, <laughs> so, that thing. so I would love to hear more. On your opinions on the subject. So please, if this link or any of the others I mentioned interest you and you want to discuss, then you can get in touch with me at facebook.com slash christianchiller at christianch on Twitter, or you can find other methods at christianchiller.com slash contact, and I would love to hear your opinions. Next is my interview with Zinshu Dong, co-founder of RockX and ex-co-founder of Zilliqa. Enjoy. Hello, Chris. Uh, hello, everyone. So this is Xingshu. Uh, um, I'm based in Singapore. I, I was sort of a deep technologist working on different types of software systems, mainly looking at um, the cybersecurity aspect. So I was looking at how could you make uh, web browsers more secure than how could you make um, the control software components for smart grids uh, more secure, more resilient against different types of uh, cyber threats. Um, I moved on to blockchain around 2015. Um, that's a time when uh, the professor I used to work with uh, at my university started to do very deep technology, uh, technological research on blockchain. So I got into that space. I started to um, build 
applications around private blockchains. Uh, for example, the first project was with uh, the Singapore Stock Exchange um, on a blockchain-based bond trading system. Um, then um, moving on to um, uh, 2017, uh, I, together with several of my co-founders, started a project called Zilliqa on uh, a much more scalable and more secure blockchain than um, those available at the time. Um, I left Zilliqa around May this year. Now I'm working on a new exciting project called RockX. Um, just a little bit, little bit background of RockX. So uh, this project was co-founded by uh, my co-founder Alex and myself. Uh, our aim is really to provide a one-stop um, digital asset services platform where um, people can just come in and have all the necessary functionalities provided um, with anything about digital assets. So whether this is about users who are already sort of very familiar with different types of types of crypto assets, or it's about users who are just you know getting curious about this new space but don't have much background, um, I think this. Uh, platform should be able to serve um, both types of users, and I and I think really that there is there's still a gap today in terms of um, you know being very nerdy and being really specialized in understanding blockchain protocols versus the much broader audience uh, that deserves services um, whenever they have an interest uh, mm -hmm. in blockchain or crypto assets. So, in a nutshell, this is about myself and the new venture uh, mm -hmm. I'm working now. Let's go back one step. I have interviewed Zillick. I'll have to dig out the episode um, and put that in the notes. But um, that's a, it seems to be quite, well, increasingly popular, in, especially in, in blockchain terms, whatever popular may mean, but um, talked about quite a lot. Um, did you just feel like a new challenge or were, you, were there other reasons you decided to start a new venture? Um, I think there there were several reasons. Uh, of course, uh, one of the reasons was that uh, I think um, uh, having a new venture like uh, RockX would give me the opportunity to actually work a little more broadly uh, in the space. So now this is not just about um, sort of um, advancing the progress of certain types of blockchains or certain types of in infrastructures in the, in the entire ecosystem. Uh, it's actually... Um, Beyond that, because now um, I'm working with different different types of um, partners in the space, whether this is a, you know people building blockchains, or this is the people who are trying to interconnect different chains, or um, people who are trying to make it much easier uh, for people to enter into the space. I think this is a new exciting uh, opportunity. Um, you know, it just give me gives me like much broader picture. Uh, and really think about uh, deeper problems, whether blockchain is for real, you know, how can we um, make the uh, make blockchains uh, adopted much faster than, than mm -hmm. they are today. So I guess the next question would be, we'll dig into a bit more detail about what RockX is in a minute, but are you building it on top of Zilliqa? <laughs> um, not, not really, because you know this is this is not like an on-chain smart yeah. okay. contract-based application, right? Um, I would love to build it entirely on, on, on blockchains, but uh, we still have to be practical. Um, and sometimes um, certain types of users would still prefer a much easier user experience. So that's why uh, certain components would be actually off-chain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but we are happy to explore, you know, building <laughs> certain types, uh, certain components. Uh, on different blockchains and try to interconnect, interconnect different chains. Sure. 
So um, let's dig into RockX a bit more. The the website doesn't tell me very much right now. I'm guessing it's quite recent. So, I mean, let's look at the tagline. Um, unlocking the full value of digital assets and decentralized governance. Let's start with the first point. What, in terms of RockX, are digital assets? So um, I think this is a very broad ambition uh, we have decided to, to take on. Um, so there are several things I think uh, that need to be uh, improved in terms of bringing uh, digital assets to, to uh, greater adoption. So one aspect is what I uh, hinted to just now. Uh, this is about how can we make it much easier for users without much you know, deep experience in the crypto space to actually appreciate it and to actually participate um, in some process around it. So for example, if I don't have certain tokens, would that be a barrier? It could be a barrier today, but it doesn't have to be a barrier. Um, then if I have tokens, um, do I really understand what, what, you know, what these tokens mean? Do I really understand uh, what holding these tokens mean? Can I, can I you know, participate in certain process that will you know, help me understand better the process of the protocols and uh, you know, the well-being of the project, for example? So these are some of the uh, larger questions we want to seek answers for. You know, it's not like we have all the answers, all the infrastructures, all the tools um, to realize all these dreams. But I think these are important questions for us to think about. So this is along the line of unlocking the uh, potential of digital assets that RockX is, is tackling now. So do you mean digital assets in terms of like crypto collectibles or do you mean digital assets in terms of files and, and media or what, what do you actually mean by digital assets? Like what sorts of assets do you want to manage? I think, I think that's a very, very good question. Mm. Um, and and I think I think I only have the answer sort of, of working progress. Um, I don't know what's the ultimate answer, but when I look at it today, I think anything that's um, sort of created or, um, I don't know, like supported by a decentralized blockchain system could be instance of digital asset. So this could be a utility token. This could be, a, um, I don't know, collectible uh, living on the blockchain. This could also in future mean certain digital representations of um, financial products, right? I think all these are possible digital assets. And uh, how should we deal with them? Should we deal with them in a collective way? Should we do them, uh, deal with them uh, in a separate, uh, separate manner? I think these are the questions uh, we need to find answers to. And I mean, then, so the next point you have in that tagline is decentralized governance. So uh, do you mean decentralized governance of those assets or decentralized governance in combination with those assets? Uh, I think I could say it's um, governance around the digital assets. So this generally today, this generally means uh, the governance issues around the blockchains that are actually giving life to these digital assets that are actually supporting uh, these digital assets. Um, so what we mean is really to find a way to connect different uh, parties as well as uh, users in the blockchain space to uh, more effectively govern the whole blockchain ecosystem. It's not like nothing exists today. Many very useful and uh, very progress efforts are already ongoing in terms of deciding, for example, uh, how shall we 
change our protocol um, for the better. But on the other hand, I think uh, what is also realistic is that it's very, still very difficult for most of the users, I guess, um, to understand what these protocol, or what these uh, proposals to uh, change protocols mean, and how can they effectively assess the options and make an informed decision. I think that has to be a collective effort, and RockX would be happy to to be part of that. Okay, so. The first part of this, you're launching what you're calling a uh, staking as a service. So firstly, for the uh, the crypto curious people who are not so familiar, what is staking and what will it be mm-hmm. as a service? So um, this is, in a way, conceptually similar to, um, let's say, uh, your, your, your deposits. So you put your money into a bank account, depending on different terms and conditions, uh, you might be expecting some interest. Um, and uh, let's say most of the times, the, the amount of interest um, is actually um, agreed upon uh, beforehand. So this is similar um, in terms of concept to staking, except that uh, number one, um, staking is uh, denominated in the tokens, in this specific token um, sort of enabled by a particular blockchain. So you put in tokens, you get back uh, rewards in tokens. And then secondly, um, the, the the source of such uh, rewards in tokens is usually provided by the CHAMP protocol. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes that's even completely algorithmic. So these are sort of the two uh, key differences that I see um, uh, between staking and uh, sort of your, your deposits. But otherwise, I think that conceptually, they are very similar things. And And why would... Why would someone need this as a service? Uh, is it just to make it easier than doing it themselves or for another reason? I think making it easier is definitely one of the main reasons. Um, again, this would become a barrier for some of the users, at least, if they uh, had to do everything themselves. Now with uh, such services, uh, they could just um, click certain buttons in their wallets to, to make their tokens staked. Right, that's an important reason. And secondly, uh, for some of the blockchain protocols, you would actually need to have, you know, a certain stre- you have, have to um, pass certain threshold of tokens you you have staked before you can effectively participate in that protocol. Mm-hmm. So that means you need some service providers to aggregate tokens from uh, smaller holders and to to you know make them eligible to participate in the process. Okay. And how do you envisage this looking? Is it like a, a web graphical interface or a, a wallet as a, as a mobile application or all of those or, or something else? Um, I think we are actually exploring different options. Um, so I think some users, as as far as, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, preliminary surveys we have done, um, some users would really prefer sitting down in front of a laptop opening their browsers and, and do the serious stuff with their tokens. But some users would just want to, um, you know, do it on the go with, with their mobile phones. So uh, I'm not sure whether there's like a very uh, simple answer uh, in terms of uh, which channel would be the best. Um, I think maybe one way to do that is to provide different channels to cater to different um, users' preferences. Okay. And on the subject of, of users' preferences, you do mention that uh, the plan is for this to work with select public blockchains. 
So firstly, do you know which those are going to be yet? Um, so we, we are supporting a few um, blockchains to begin with, but, mm-hmm. but really um, that's sort of not sort of our, our main objective in terms of uh, focusing only on a few blockchains. I think we want to uh, open up um, the number of blockchains we can support um, you know, um, in the near future. It's just like uh, bound by our bandwidth, bound by um, some of the performance and security mm-hmm. considerations. We can only do it in a, um, in a step-by-step manner. And do you think you'll ever expand that into private as well to kind of go down the more sort of enterprise route? Uh, if you look at private blockchains today, um, private chains or consortium chains, uh, I think most of them do not have a similar sort of um, um, token economic systems. Um, but uh, if the if they do come up with similar systems, I think we are open to uh, including private chains as well. Um, but that would also require a sort of relatively broad appreciation of whatever you know token or representation of um, agreements running on the blockchain or digital assets there. Um, because if it's just for, I don't know, let's say a group of um, five five parties, mm. um, then that will be a little more difficult for us to support because we want to really target the mass adoption market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Um so the, I mean, you're, I guess you're, you're relatively new, so you don't necessarily have a, a concrete roadmap, but the, the sort of penultimate line on your introductory paragraph is various digital assets and products in the future. Um, so what else have you got planned in the next sort of six months to a year that, that form this vision? Right. I think we are really doing this step by step. I think the first step for us is really to roll out the first version of the product um, to sort of the, the mass users. Um, now we already have certain customers uh, onboarded, but that's usually uh, through other channels. We really want to scale up the business by rolling out um, you know, a platform that's very easy to use. That's the first step. I think very naturally, like uh, weeks to months after that, we will have to uh, roll out uh, updates with new features, um, and sometimes we will have to hear the feedbacks of our initial users and try to make the systems uh, as usable as possible. Um, and going forward, once we have uh, sort of acquired the uh, critical mass of the users as well as the digital assets uh, associated with our platform, we can actually think about other plans um, to expanding to sort of some of the uh, decentralized finance field as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be uh, very exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, actually the last line of this paragraph is the one that interests me the most. Uh, you mm-hmm. talk about aimed at accelerating the professionalism of the blockchain ecosystem. Uh, mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? What does make what, what is currently unprofessional about the blockchain e- ecosystem and what do you think will make what what does making it professional mean to you um i think uh, professionalism um is more of a process to us so um it's it's actually a relative term because if you compare a uh, blockchain with let's say the traditional uh, financial services market i think there are still a lot of things that can be improved but this is not necessarily an active thing because on the other hand um being a very um sort of new area 
um, is much more open to different ideas, different types of people who want to enter into the space, and it moves very fast. So I think I, I see that actually as a good thing. So um, the way um, the, the blockchain space or the crypto market have evolved um, in the past, I don't know, just a few years, uh, I think uh, uh, have been very impressive. But on the other hand, I think going forward, if we want to attract sort of new users into the space or a lot of new users into the space, and some of them will have concerns uh, in the way that business uh, uh, businesses are being done, in the way their um, assets are being sort of, let's say, custodized, um, in a way their assets are being transferred, uh, are being recorded, right? So these are some of the assets um, aspects that people are already working on uh, to improve. So for example, you are seeing several very strong players in the crypto uh, custodian space, which I think is a very um, positive thing. They are applying like very strict, very secure, very compliant um, mechanisms to make sure that uh, digital assets under their custody um, are, very, are very secure, uh, under good care. And I think that would assure a lot of people who you know, previously had concerns over all these matters. So this is sort of one example of making the whole crypto space much more professional. And I think uh, RockX being, in a way, being a very important guardian of the whole ecosystem, I think we have our role to play there as well, um, to streamline the whole process, to work with uh, very strong parties in making sure that uh, things are done more professionally. Okay. And... Obviously, again, I appreciate it's, it's early days for you, so there's not too much to see. But for for people who would be interested to know what this may look like, are there any other similar services or platforms that you're drawing inspiration from? We, we could say your competitors, maybe, but um, that you're you're inspired by to to better, or you would say is a sort of alternative to what you're looking to do. I see that uh, uh, the, the sort of the direction we are going after has um, um, several aspects. So one aspect is just about uh, running a validator for different blockchains. Mm -hmm. To that, there are uh, many other players in the field as well. Some are um, you know, more experienced, some are sort of just new into the space. I think this is really a community play because for any blockchain, you will not want a scenario where you only have like one or two big guys, mm -hmm. you know, generating all the blocks because that's not secure. That's not decentralized. You really need a group of very um, trustworthy, very credible guys uh, running nodes all together. And they have to work together uh, while being a little independent because, you know, if the, if they uh, rely on each other in sort of validating blocks, that itself uh, is going to be a very big security concern. But on the other hand, I think we also have other more ambitious goals in terms of pushing the adoption of the blockchain, in terms of uh, connecting um, token holders with um, sort of the governance issues that that are uh, that are um, you know to be improved. So all these things, collectively speaking, make RockX sort of I think a, a quite a unique player in this in this field. Okay. Okay. Now let's. Uh, you're you're based in Singapore. I've interviewed quite a lot of crypto companies in Singapore. What's what's special about Singapore? Why are there so many of you there? <laughs> I think uh, Singapore is just like uh, Switzerland. So um, the regulation here really embraces uh, innovation, uh, especially technical innovation. So that's why I think for a very long time Singapore has been um, 
one of the most sort of supportive uh, regulatory environments uh, for blockchain and crypto company companies to, to to sort of be based at. Um, and I think uh, Singapore traditionally has been a financial hub as well. So uh, it just makes you know many things much more natural. But on the other hand, I think Singapore is also a very efficient society. That means you know things tend to move faster. And that is really highly appreciated in the, in the blockchain space as well. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the factors as I see. Okay. And as a new company in this space, I mean, as far as I can tell right now, it's you and your co-founder. I guess you're going to need to find some help there. Uh, how is it at the moment in finding the people you need to, to build out a blockchain project? Um, so we have teams both based in Shenzhen and Singapore, Um, finding the best talents, especially best talents in blockchain, is always a very competitive process because um, you just don't have so many good people. You are basically competing um, with um, many other blockchain companies in the space. But I think that's a very good thing because that makes uh, many young, bright talents who are not in blockchain today I'm very interested in learning more about blockchain and trying to get into the space mm. um, to contribute as well. Um, I think uh, uh, we have managed to, to sort of get a few really good people to work alongside with us. Um, but definitely we are we're constantly looking for people. I just actually met someone before this call to, to find ways to, you know, try to look for uh, more good engineers to, to join hands with us. And is this specifically... Uh, engineers with knowledge of blockchain or just general engineers? I, I mean, I'd, I'd sort of be interested to know how you think the the ecosystem could get more specific blockchain engineers. Uh, is there like an, an education path you think that could be improved or, or something like that? So I think uh, uh, blockchain is definitely a, a new, how to say, a new form of um many of the more fundamental computer science um, ideas, concepts, and, uh, and uh, sort of uh, constructs. But uh, if you are really strong in, term, in terms of um, being a good uh, computer uh, science graduate uh, and have good experience in programming for operating systems, um, distributed systems, um, cryptography, I think I think the, the the learning curve is not very uh, stiff for, mm-hmm. for these people. I think uh, uh, they can be trained into something you know so called um, blockchain engineer you know very very quickly. Um, but on the other hand, I, I do see the need to have um, you know good talents from the non tech space to join the blockchain industry as yeah. well. Yeah. And sometimes these people are even harder to, to get because <laughs> uh, because they are not from the tech space. Um, it, it takes sort of um, more education and more convincing to let them understand that this is something very cool. And whether this is about business development, it's about marketing, it's about operations, um, or sometimes it's just about you know um, coming up with good strategies. Mm. Um, I think I think these type of types of people. Also, what we are uh, looking for now. Okay. Is there anything we haven't covered that you want to make sure people know about Rockex or yourself? Uh, I think I think um, a key key point I want to make about Rockex here mm-hmm. is that uh, we we are very open minded and uh, we we see ourselves as sort of an important player in the ecosystem in the community. 
that's why we are uh, very keen to work with others because this is not about you know being the best blockchain. This is not about being the best validator. This is about how can we all work together and make blockchain one of the best options for different industries and make uh, digital assets one of the you know sort of most user-friendly assets to, to anyone who has interest in that. That was my interview with Xin Shu Dong, the co-founder of RockX and ex-co-founder of Zilliqa. I hope you found that interesting. So I have been on the road at a few conferences and events, um, mostly internal ones. In the next couple of days, I will be at Rockwood Docs in Prague. Uh, I'm helping organize social media and the writing day. So if you are there, come and say hello. After that, I'm taking a short break. Then I'll be back in Belgrade for a conference in Belgrade, if you're around. And then I'll be at DevCon in Osaka in Japan. So if you're in any of those, I'm covering quite a lot of space there, territory. So maybe I'll meet some of you there. In the meantime, you can find some of my creative writing works and games work that I've been working on at kristenschiller.com. Previous episodes of this podcast, new writing is out. Some of my KubeCon interviews I'm finally releasing. Sorry, they are so late. Uh, some fascinating interviews with IBM and Canonical are up there right now. So you can enjoy those. Please rate, review, share the show wherever you found it. And in the meantime, if you have been, thank you very much for listening. 